Jesus, thank you so much for making known to us the love of the Father so that we know this good God that we worship. We know and have a relationship where we're not just children, but we are those who have a conversation and and a dialogue and we ask questions and we learn and we listen and we are guided and shaped. And Lord, we pray that in this time, we would have our hearts open so that we could hear your good words to us and that we could grow more and more in your likeness. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. And happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. There we go. That's it. We got a good Sunday today. This is an awesome Sunday. I'm so glad I had my dad here to baptize my my son. And then uh, his dad baptized him or his grandpa did. I don't remember who, but all I know is that there's a lot of baptizing going on. They're all pastors all the way back, all all the way back as as far as I can remember. And um, it's such a special thing. Uh, When you're baptized, though, it's not just what the pastor says. It's also this this community that gets around a child. You can't actually have a baptism without the community. The community's always there. There's always believers there who speak on behalf of not just this church, but all the churches that are a part of Jesus Christ's body, all of those churches in the world, millions of them, and they speak on behalf of that church and they make the promise to walk alongside and to nurture the child or the adult. Whoever is committing their life to Christ, whoever's receiving the gift of baptism, they they promise to wrap their arms around them, not going to let them go. And I I am so excited that I got to have that happen with my son today. Well, I was baptized as a baby years ago, um, and, uh, and I definitely felt like I was a goner in terms of church. There were people who were always telling me about Jesus, always making sure I knew who Jesus was. Um, but I did grow up, and, and uh, I grew up in the church, a, a fun, funky church. Who, who grew up in a funky church? Anybody grew up in a funky church? I grew up in a funky church. So I, I, when I was, you can ask me about that later. It's okay. When I, when I, grew up to about 22 years old, 20 to 22, 23, I was living in the Caribbean and I was trying to be a writer because I figured Hemingway wrote good stuff and apparently the only reason he wrote good stuff is because he lived in the Caribbean, right? No, it's not true. You have to actually be a good writer too. So I was, I was living in the Caribbean trying to be a writer and I complete, I ran out of money altogether. And then I uh, apparently got bit by the wrong mosquito because I got a disease, uh, an illness called West Nile virus. Have you heard of that? So this is the worst fever you can get because your joints start to, start to ache like you have arthritis and oh my gosh, it's so bad. Every, every bone of your body hurts. So I knew I was in trouble and I was living alone. So I remember that I met this guy who was a Christian and his name was Richard. And so I called Richard and I said, Richard, I'm sick and I, I think I'm really sick. And so he, this is him, he came and he picked me up from my house and he drove me to his parents' house and he called the family doctor and they took care of me. And this is a weird illness that you get because the fever was so intense that I remember, and the doctor had already visited me and told me what I had, but I remember as I had the fever, I was blind because my eyes were so sensitive. I don't know if there's pressure or something, but it was real. Some nurses like, yes, that's what it is. But my eyes were so sensitive that for a period of time, I was blind. I tried to open my eyes and I couldn't see anything. And, and it wasn't just, a, it was also kind of a metaphorical blindness in my life. I was sensing the darkness in my life, the heaviness, that the, the, the path had been off course. 
And so then I was healed. I, I came, came back, as people do. Most young people who get West Nile virus, they get out. Dengue. It's the same thing. It's just, it's just a different, it's a scarier name. My mom says, it was dengue fever. No, it's, I, I know, but it's actually the same thing. It, it's, it's just like the African name sounds so much scarier than West Nile virus, doesn't it? <laughs> they both are awful, and it's the same thing. So, sorry. <laughs> um, dengue fever. So um, when I got better, uh, Richard was close to me. He was my friend. And he wasn't going to let me go. And so he would take me out uh, to have chats. So first he would make sure that we hung out at the pool hall or the rum shop for a little while, for a long while. And at the end of the evening, he, he would say, you need to turn your life back to Jesus. You need to get back on the right course. And then, uh, and then he would do it week after week. And then one week I said to him, I, I said, you know, it's the funniest thing. And he knew that my dad was a pastor and I grew up in a minister's family. And he, I said, you know, the strangest thing is I got one of those third grade Bibles when I was in third grade. And I've had a house full of Bibles. I've been surrounded by Bibles. I've had heard every Bible story 50 times because of all those Sunday school teachers, that, you know, all those lessons, all those youth groups. I know the Bible. But I've never actually owned like, like a, an adult Bible. I've never had one that's mine. And he said, Wow. And then the next week, he took me out to rum shop again. And then at the end of the evening, he pushed a little wrapped up package across the table to me. And I opened it up and it was my first adult Bible. (laughs) That sounds weird. It was just a Bible, like a regular Bible, okay? And so that night, I was crying and I started to read, I started to read the Bible and I was crying as I read it. And as I read it, something, something happened in my life like a transformation. Like my heart was open and I was, it's like the whole, I'd been reading Bibles my whole life before, but for the first time I felt like I was really listening to God rather than kind of judging God or trying to figure out what was wrong with God. I was just hearing God's love as I read it. This moment in my life when I read the Bible, it was the fulfillment of the promise that the church had made to me when I was a little baby. It was all of those promises coming true. It was this, this beautiful moment of surrender in my life that happened after I'd professed my faith, even in front of my congregation, and committed my life verbally to Christ. There was just this thing that had happened, and my life was never the same again. And it was a fulfillment of all the Sunday school teachers that had, through that promise, said, I'm going I'm to put up with that annoying little kid <laughs> for the rest of, you know, until he graduates. And all those promises, all those people that had promised along the way, they walked alongside me and they, they fulfilled it. And even this is a fulfillment of that promise. Now today, we are about to open a scripture, the scripture, that is that powerful. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, it could change the lives of every person in here. Are you ready to read this scripture? Excited? Okay. So this scripture is our continuing our Uncommon Fellowship series, which is basically another way of saying the church. In the early days of the church, they didn't even really call it the church. They just described it by what it was and what they saw. So they would describe it in ways like saying that they gave to everyone who had need, anyone who was in need. They just shared. They shared with every, everyone shared everything that they had in common. There was not a needy person among them. I love that description of the early church, this uncommon fellowship. And the best word they could use was the word fellowship, koinonia, which means a deep river of friendship with a common direction. All hearts beating together as one. 
Now, two of the guys that were in this early uncommon fellowship, this early church, were named Paul and Silas. Now, Paul and Silas loved to tell people about Jesus. And so they would go around from town to town, and they were the church. Did you know that Jesus actually said, where, this is a great scripture to remember, where two or three are, or, where two or three are gathered together or more, see if I get it right, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among them. So the uncommon fellowship exists where only two people are there, that you have the church. This thing that they were doing was actually bringing the uncommon fellowship from city to city, one city after another. And after they had visited many cities, bringing the uncommon fellowship to them, they visited this town called Philippi. And they went to this town, and one of the first people they met was this little girl who was a slave. She was not, she didn't really have a mom or a dad that watched after her. She was, a, she was owned by these men who made money off of her. And they rented her out as a fortune teller because she could tell people's future. She had that talent. And so, so the first thing that she said when she saw them was this. She, her fortune, she told Paul and Silas's fortune. She said, these men are slaves of the most high God and they can show you the way to freedom. They have the path to salvation. Now, interesting, isn't it, that this girl who's a slave actually says this about Paul and Silas. She says, these guys are slaves, but they're slaves of God, and they can show us all how to be free. But she didn't just say this once. She said it twice, three times. She didn't just say it three times. She said it not just for one day, but two days. And by the way, this was the most annoying thing because I looked it up in the Greek and it sounds kind of like this. Oika, badoika, fadoika. It's just so annoying. So imagine a little girl following you all over town saying this thing, this random rhyme, screaming it out everywhere you went, not just for two days, but for many days. So we have no idea how many days she was screaming this at them. Finally, Paul gives up and he turns to her and he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, would you just please stop? And suddenly, no kidding, she can't tell anyone's future anymore. She doesn't tell fortunes. She won't tell people. She's done. And these guys who were making a lot of money off of this little girl were angry. So they captured Paul and Silas. They took him down to the town square and they brought him before the judge or the magistrate. And right there, they accused them of three things. You want to hear these awful crimes that they committed? These are the crimes that they accused them of. First, the first crime that they committed was being Jewish. By the way, that's not a crime in ancient Rome, but it actually shows how racist they were. They accused them of being Jewish. The second crime was that they were preaching. It's not a crime, by the way. And the second one, third one was that they were disturbing the peace. Ah, a little bit, you know. Actually, if it, it wasn't them that was being annoying. It was that little girl, right? So they're the, they're the experts on being annoying, so they're actually really hypocrites. Talk about disturbing the peace. So they charge him with these three crimes, and then they say, then the judge, or the magistrate, without a trial, by the way, sends this verdict, hands down this sentence. He says, these men are to be beaten with rods, stripped naked in the town square in front of everybody, beaten with rods, and then incarcerated in the darkest cell we have, the most innermost cell. And we're talking dark, it means stinky and moldy, no light. This place was awful. And then they put Paul and Silas inside of these things. Um, they're called, uh, not shackles, I can't remember the name right now. You know, when you can't remember, you can always just look in Scripture, because it's right there. Stocks. They're called stocks. And as far as we can tell, these are bib- biblical era torture devices. 
that would be on the legs. And the implication is that Paul and Silas are soon going to be tortured. Their legs are going to be stretched out to a horrific amount of pain to torture them. Do you know what Paul and Silas do? Listen to the words of Scripture. This is what Scripture tells us Paul and Silas did in that prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake. Don't you love that the the prisoners were just listening to them, by the way? All the other prisoners just listening to their songs they were singing. It says, suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. By the way, we know this is a miracle. Do you know why? Because the building didn't collapse. This is a huge earthquake and all of the doors opened. The only thing that happened was the doors, the jail doors opened and all of the chains fell off right? So the author intends for us to see this as a miracle. There's no doubt about it. And then it says, when the jailer woke up, this is one of the weirdest moments because it says the jailer woke up later. Why did they stay in there? If you had all of your prison doors open and your chains fall off, wouldn't you run out of there? Wouldn't you just, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm heading for the hills. It says that the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open And so he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, don't harm yourself for we are all here. Then the jailer called for lights and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At that same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. The jailer washed the wounds of Paul and Silas. And then the jailer and his entire family were baptized without delay. The jailer brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. Told you. That's an awesome story. Now, do you see what Paul and Silas are doing? They're being the church. They're being the uncommon fellowship. I mean, they have been thrown into this innermost cell and they have all every reason to be, to be at the lowest point of their entire life. But for some crazy reason, Paul and Silas are at their best. They probably realize they have a captive audience. No pun intended. (laughs) My dad laughed at that. See, he's a smart man. That's an extra barbecue rib for you, dad, later. And a beer. Um, They they had a captive audience and they they were praying and singing hymns and all the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, all of this earthquake takes place and and all of the doors of the cell open and no one runs away. We have no idea why. But the jailer wakes up Now, hold on a second. Why isn't Paul at the lowest moment of his life? Don't you wonder that? Like, he's just been beaten with rods, and he's been thrown inside of the cell. Don't you think that he would be at the worst, deepest, darkest moment of his life? No. Do you know what Paul's darkest moment of his life was? It was years earlier, when he was on a road to a town called Damascus, and he was hunting for Christians, because he wasn't a Christian yet. And he was hunting for Christians and he had papers that gave him legal authority to arrest Christians 
and to throw them into the stocks, maybe torture them, and most definitely incarcerate them. He was planning to go to Damascus to tear apart families, to arrest moms and dads, to take this community and destroy this uncommon fellowship that was being created. And as he was headed down that road with that intent, suddenly a flash comes in his life, this bright light, and it blinds him completely, completely blinded. And he hears this voice. This is what the scripture says. It says, why, this voice from heaven says, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? And then Paul was blinded. He couldn't see for three days. And he went to this house. And do you know who came in his life to help him? The people he was hunting. The uncommon fellowship came around him and cared for him and forgave him and welcomed him into the community and saved him. So now we have Paul and Silas in jail, the hunted ones. And then the jailer wakes up. The jailer wakes up. And we see this moment in the jailer's life when he is at his darkest moment ever. He, when he wakes up and thinks that all of the other prisoners have escaped, do you know what the punishment was for having the prisoners escape? It was probably to be beaten, most likely to be tortured, and most definitely to be executed and incarcerated. He was facing the death sentence. He must have thought about all of his kids, his mom, his dad, his grandparents, his servants, all the people in his household. He'd failed them all. And in this moment of darkness, he pulls out a sword to kill himself. And at that point, Paul and Silas do what the church has always done for people in their moment of darkness. They came around them. In fact, Paul shouts these words, do not kill yourself, don't harm yourself, for we are all here. Even though that jailer could have thrown them right back in jail. What happens next is you sense that this blade probably came crashing down to the ground, but most definitely the scripture tells us that the jailer called for lights to bring into that dark place and they go in, he runs in with lights and he falls down trembling at the feet of Paul and Silas. He collapses before Paul and Silas. And then he brings them outside and probably with tears in his eyes says, what am I going to do? Tell me what to do. How can I be saved? This thing, I'm a, I'm a goner. Paul probably smiled a little bit thinking he, he knew He's been in that guy's shoes before. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus. And not only will you be saved, but your wife and your kids and your mom and your dad, everyone in your household, everyone. And so then the jailer does this crazy thing and brings Paul and Silas back to his house and starts to nurse their wounds, take care of them and love them and 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 help them to be restored to health. And then it says that Paul and Silas baptized the entire household without delay. They baptized the babies. They baptized the grandparents. They baptized the servants. Everybody in the household was baptized. Reminds me of that words that that little girl said. Do you remember what she said when she was yelling at Paul and Silas? Not oika de badoika, not that. I mean the English one part. She said, these men are slaves of the Most High God. 
they have the way to salvation. They can save us. Imagine Paul and Silas telling the jailer, telling the household, we are slaves of God and we've been free ever since. We are no longer slaves ever again. You know, I wonder what happened to that little girl though, don't you? That little girl who was free, now, now she has no value to her owners. She has no value. She can't provide a profit to them. She can't help them. So what, what is it? You know, I do know and we know that Paul and Silas planted a really strong church there, a fellowship just like this one. And one of the traits of that fellowship was that they would care for widows and orphans. That was their mission. They cared for widows and orphans and poor people. We can only pray that that church noticed that little girl and welcomed, them, welcomed her into the uncommon fellowship and told her, you know, you may not have a mom or a dad to look after you. You may feel like all the people in your life have taken advantage of you. But we want you to know that God loves you and that you get to be a part of this family and you are a, a sister to all of these people. These are all your family members. I pray that she grew up to become a preacher one day. <laughs> to share the good news or singing a song, praying prayers. But if you're here today and you are in that place of your darkest moment, and I've experienced, I experience one a week where it's just a glimmer of that darkness tries to creep back in there. Once a day. And you know what I do is the same thing that Paul and Silas did when they were in the prison. And it's the thing that I tell you that late at night when your whole entire family goes to bed, no one's going to know. All you have to do is just pray. And what have you got to lose? It's your private moment with God. And if you're really bold, maybe you'll pull down the family Bible or you'll go online and find some scripture and just pray that God would speak to you, that by the power of his spirit that you would just find something, some words of encouragement and hope. And through that, something powerful can happen in your life. Something powerful happens to me every time I, I, I return to this scripture, not just, I need to go more. I need it more and more in my life. Kind of like I'm enslaved to it. And so if you are one of those people that is, has a dark moment, I just encourage you to take that bold step and don't be afraid of what anyone thinks in your life and just, just do, just all Paul said to the jailer was, believe in the Lord Jesus. I've been in your shoes before. I know the darkness that you've experienced. We're not, we're not any different than one another. We know it. And we're here for you. And if you need a, a fellow believer or someone to just talk to you, you know what? If it's a dark moment, please just let us know and we will, we will shout the love of Jesus at you. We will wrap God's arms around you and we will walk with you, not just today or tomorrow, but for the rest of your life. And that's our promise to you. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for rescuing us for retrieving us from the darkness. Thank you so much that your promise is a true promise, that you have always been beside us, that you have always been speaking your love into our life. Lord, we thank you so much that, that we have this freedom in you, that, we, that the, the slavery of this world is, is nothing. Even if people were to incarcerate us, Lord, even if we were in the worst situations, Lord, that you still have the power to, to free us and help us be powerful ministers to your name. So God, as we continue in worship, may you continue to free human beings and souls in this space so that they could 
lift you up in their life. Free households, Lord. Free families. And pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.